one thing is always consistent. And that is the fact that Jesus always saw things in a very different way. He saw people and situations through the lens of possibility and the impossible. He saw them in a way that would transform people and situations. And he allowed the kingdom to work through him to break through. Well, today we are going to investigate this different kind of way of doing life that Jesus had. The title of today is Deeply Rooted, Jesus Had a Way. And he did have a way of living life whereby the kingdom would actually break through. And so we're going to investigate this. We're also going to look at the invitation that he offers us to come and explore the height, the depth, the width, and the length of his magnificent love. And then how our relationship with God can be transformed in a deeper fellowship with him. So that's the goal today. All right, so Jesus functioned in a different reality. He functioned from above and not from below. Jesus was otherworldly. He belonged to a kingdom. He was the beloved son of the creator, God. And he was next in line to the throne. Traveling from his kingdom realm that preexisted our own, he was saturated in the truth of his father's kingdom. Jesus existed and comes from a kingdom realm. And so we're going to look at understanding the nature and the character of God so that we can approach this world through that lens. Okay? So here we go. Exodus 34, verses 6 to 7, says this. These are point forms, so you go ahead and read it afterwards. God is the God of compassion and mercy. He is slow to anger. He is filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. He forgives iniquity, rebellion, and sin, and does not excuse the guilty. 1 John 4, 7, 8 tells us that love comes from God and that God is love. John 1, 4 to 5 says, he is life and his life is light and his light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot comprehend this light. Okay, Matthew eleven twenty nine tells us that God is a teacher, that he is humble and gentle of heart, that he brings rest for our souls and that in Hebrews 13, 8, He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There are many more scriptures that point to the nature and the character of God. And we see each one of these things manifested in the life of Jesus. Isaiah 50, sorry, 5, verse 8 to 9 says, His thoughts are not our thoughts, and his ways are not our ways. His ways are higher than our ways. And his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. There is a higher way, and it is the way of love. And it happens to be the currency of transactions in heaven. Love is the only commodity 
that transcends this time domain and makes, makes it into eternity. It is the only thing that we can actually take with us and therefore it is the most precious of gifts that we are given. In fact, anything absent of love ceases to exist in the presence of God. Whether it is fear, darkness, pride, our loving God is resistant to each and every one. And so was Jesus. 1 Corinthians 13 verses 1 to 8, and this again, this is point form, tell us that words without love are repulsive. Understanding, knowledge, and faith without love amount to nothing. Sacrifice of possessions and self without love gain nothing. It tells us that this commodity or this currency of heaven, that love is patient and it is kind, that it is not jealous, boastful, proud, or rude. Love does not demand its own way. It goes on to say that love is not irritable. Love keeps no record of being wronged. Love does not rejoice about injustice. Love rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. This currency of heaven never loses faith. Love is always hopeful. Love endures through every single circumstance. Love is the only thing that lasts forever. John 3.16 said that God had so much love for the world and his creation, humanity, that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. It goes on in verse 17 to say that God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Humility leads to intimacy with the king and his kingdom. Because in order to function in the qualities and characters that God has, which is the attributes of love explained in chapter 13, it requires a tremendous amount of laying down. In the kingdom, less is always more. The lower you go, the higher you rise. You want to be great? Serve everybody. You want to keep your life? Give it away. Less is more in the kingdom. Without humility, access is denied to the king and his kingdom. I'm going to read to you out of Ezekiel 28, verses 14 to 19. It's not going to be on the screen because I just want you to close your eyes. And as I read these words to you, I want you to have these words reflect upon your own behaviors, your own mindsets. Before I read this scripture, let me set some context. 
It is found in a prophetic book called Ezekiel. In the 28th chapter, God is confronting the king of Tyre. In this confrontation, it begins by saying, you were in Eden at the very beginning. But the king of Tyre didn't exist all the way back there. So the Lord is talking to something beyond the king of Tyre. The thing that is influencing him. Because we know that scripture says we fight not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and principalities in the unseen world. So the Lord is speaking to a principality. And as we travel down to verse 14 and 19, we see him confronting our greatest enemy. I ordained and anointed you as the mighty angelic guardian You had access to the holy mountain of God and walked among the stones of fire. You were blameless in all you did from the day you were created until the day evil was found in you. Your rich commerce led to violence and you sinned. So I banished you in disgrace from the mountain of God. I expelled you, O mighty guardian, from your place among the stones of fire. Your heart was filled with pride because of all of your beauty. Your wisdom was corrupted by your love of splendor. So I threw you to the ground and exposed you to the curious gaze Of kings. You defiled your sanctuaries with your many sins and your dishonest trade. So I brought fire out from within you and it consumed you. I reduced you to ashes on the ground in the sight of all who are watching. All who knew you are appalled at your fate. You have come to a terrible end and you will exist no more. The scripture speaks to the pride that manifested in Lucifer, Satan's heart, to rise above, to be God, to be the one who receives all the glory and the honor. And along with that pride came this hostile environment God uses words, violent, violently you sinned. Why? Because of your love for splendor. In here, as we read this, we can see the thing that John says trips us up over and over and over again. They are the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life. When reflecting upon this particular verse, Vincent de Paul, commenting on humility, says this, the most powerful weapon to conquer the devil is humility. For as he does not know at all how to employ it, neither does he know how to defend himself from it. We see that in Jesus's act of humility to lay down his life as quoted 
in John chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, to lay down his life, to express the great magnitude of love, the love of the Father. And in that, it disarmed our greatest enemy. Augustine of Hippo, commenting on Psalm 82, referring to pride and humility, says this, it was pride that changed angels into devils, and it was humility that makes men as angels. In that particular Psalm, Jesus actually quoted it, and it says, does it not say that you are like gods? And he's quoting this Psalm of David, And in it, we are risen in our humility to a position that is just a little lower than the angels, to the height of angels. So as beloved children of the king and his kingdom, Paul calls us to be deeply rooted in the love of God. This is found in Ephesians chapter three. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, his love, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from him. This is taken from Graham Cook when he is talking about encountering the beauty of God. And he talks about this particular verse in verse 18. And when he references length, he defines it as this. Length is being exceedingly great and mighty. So the magnificent love of God is exceedingly great and mighty in its length. In its width, he defines it as that which love being spread out is over every eventuality, everything that you encounter. The width of God covers it all. This, I think, is depth, which is how profound God's desire is to affect your whole life. It is so deep that Paul says it borders on mystery. And then the height of God's love is designed, well, it's to lead our hearts and lives to a place of superior love in him. Graham goes on to say, there is a dignity in love 
that exalts our hearts to a high place of beauty in the Lord. The love of God has come around and lifted every single chin that has given its heart over to be embraced by the love of God. It has taken off every cloak of shame for those who are given over to encountering the love of God. It removes every single label that has limited you by its definition when one is given over to the magnificent love of God. So how do we get there? How do we get to the place where we can experience the height, the depth, the width, and the length of this love that is the currency and commodity, the greatest gift given to us from heaven, the only thing that we take with us past the time domain, and the thing that we are defined by as believers. How do we allow this love to come, nurture our hearts, our minds, our spirits, and our strength, that our roots are able to grow really, really deep in this love? Well, here's the thing. Jesus showed us the way. It is through intimacy. It is through intimacy that we understand the height, the depth, the length, the width of God's love. It is only in intimacy that we are transformed. No amount of learning can lead to transformation. Only through experience can the learning that you have take shape and form you. So, how is intimacy built? With God and with each other. The first way is through trust. We sang about that. Krista, you almost preached this last part through your songs and your prayers, which I was really encouraged by. (laughs) So, through trust. That's one way that it happens. Now, if you've been hanging out with Jeff and I for any length of time, you know that there is an equation that we like to reference on trust. It is R plus C multiplied by E plus T divided by SI. That's great, Tab. What are those things? R. R stands for reliability. C. C stands for credibility. E stands for empathy. T, transparency. And SI, self-interest. When you have reliability, credibility, empathy, and transparency, you have a great equation going on that is about to build trust. However, if self-interest is raised to such a level, it will unbalance that equation and break the trust bonds that are ready to be formed. Pride is self-interest. However, when self-interest is low, reliability, credibility, empathy, and transparency build very tight bonds of trusting intimacy. 
In Isaiah 40, 31, it says this, but those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Do you know why they'll find new strength when you trust in the Lord? Do you know why you will run and not grow weary? Do you know why you will walk and not faint? Because the journey that you are doing is not alone. The things that you are encountering is not alone. You are girded up on all sides by the one who says, I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you. I am with you even to the end of the age. When you are girded in intimate trust with God who has, his only self-interest is to share his love with you. It's not to take and destroy you. It's to give you a life that is worth living, that is not exhausted in its living. Full of life. The trust of God. Jesus modeled this trust by only doing and only saying the things that the Father did and said. He wholly trusted the Lord in his reliability, his credibility, his empathy, and his transparency. And that his self-interest was low, his father's self-interest was low, that he could fully lean in to trust God, that it didn't matter what he was thinking, and it didn't matter what he wanted to say, because he knew that his father's way of thinking and his father's way of speaking was superior, higher than his own in his own humanity. We will never grow in intimacy if we do not begin to grow trust bonds. We are called to be a reliable people, not only by the Lord, but by others. So that when he says, hey, I want you to go get in your car, drive to the supermarket. There's going to be a person there who's in the checkout. I want you to pay for their groceries. But Lord, but Lord, I only have $250 in my bank account. That's not trust. Yes, Lord. I hear you and your ways are so much higher. You are completely reliable to gird me up. You're completely credible that when I get there, I will find that person. You are completely empathetic that you see their plight and you have asked me in friendship, in love to come join you, to be your hands and feet, to show the love of God to this person. You are completely transparent. You are not trying to harm me. You have no ulterior motive here. Jesus also modeled his deep trust in the garden of Gethsemane when everything in him was shaking and he had so much anxiety over going to the cross that it says he sweat blood. I don't think I've ever been at that point where I have been so undone that sweat in the form of blood was coming from me. I cannot even begin to fathom the depth of the pain that he suffered on our behalf. In a society that does everything it can to not feel pain, it undoes me 
each and every time I think about it. Will we trust the Lord enough to lay down our own lives and show the greatest manifestation of love? How else is this accomplished? This intimacy, this growth that allows us to explore the expanse of God's love in all directions and deeply root us and transform us through prayer. Psalm 27.4 says this, and this is David talking. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. This is about communication. If you have a best friend, you know what it's like for that when you get together on the phone or whatever and how it just flows back and forth, back and forth. And you share hearts and ideas and dreams and sorrows and you feel each other. I imagine this is the relationship that David and Jonathan had. And this is the, the depth of relationship that David's heart desired to know God to be in his house in a day and in an age where we are told to isolate. And I'm sure you all would love nothing more than to go to your friend's house and hang. This is the desire David identifies with you in. And his desire was to be in the house communing or I think it was Judy Baskerville that said this once. May have not been, it could have been Tina, but polaying at a woman's retreat, polaying this deep back and forth rhythm of understanding fully. Jesus modeled this by constantly pulling away to solitary places. He'd do something grand and magnificent And right away, as soon as that task was finished, he would turn away from people to see and hear the voice, the face, to share hearts and exhaustion, to hear that that a boy, to see the beauty of God in the next things that he was supposed to reflect God in. The only way that our hearts can be transformed into this deep intimacy. It's not only to trust, but to commune, converse, hang out in the house of the Lord, in that solitary place, just you and him. And that comes through prayer, listening. Another way that this is accomplished is through presence. Psalm 91.1 says this, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. That talks about some really close nearness. You know, like I'm tucked right under your armpit. Mariah, come here. This is my daughter. She's behind the cameras. I'm going to model this because we're in the same cohort. And this is my baby. 
Thank you, sweet girl. This is what presence looks like. This is presence. Fully attentive, fully aware, fully sharing and loving. God so wants us to feel and understand the depth of his love that he sent us a helper, someone to be with us all of the time. And his name is Holy Spirit. He is the sweetest friend and his presence so comforting. So, so comforting. Hanging out in the presence of the Holy Spirit, making time for that, brings tremendous peace to everything that shakes. Preparing for this, I don't get to talk in front of everybody that often, so preparing for this was nerve-wracking for me. And I actually didn't turn a corner and walk out of anxiety until I stopped to have communion, acknowledge the love of the Father through the Son in his act, and embrace the Holy Spirit as my comforter. Once that happened, anxiety left me until 15 minutes till this service (laughs) because the PowerPoint. But it didn't rock me really badly. It started to rise. And with that, I also know that the Prince of Peace is within me. And so rather than focusing on the anxiety, I turned to focus on the Prince of Peace allowing him to rise, recognize that with his presence, I would be tucked right under his wing. Jesus modeled this because by waiting to hear what the Lord is saying and doing is a leaning into the presence of God. So much so that he carried the presence of God going forward that a woman just had to touch his cloak and she was healed. In the Old Testament, hanging out in the presence of God transformed Moses' face. For 40 days, he was on the mountain in the presence of God while the Lord wrote down in those stone tablets with his own hand, his commandments. When Moses descended, came back to earth from the holy place, the secret place that he was with the Lord, when he descended, his face shone. When we retreat into the presence of God, we too, our physical appearance, our body responds to being in that presence because it is full of life. When I was a stay-at-home mom, we set up a tent in the backyard. And that tent I called tent time. And that tent time was for me so that I could go into the tent and hang out with Jesus. And sometimes I would sleep out there at nighttime and hang out there at certain times in the day. And one of my friends, Diane Woodman, she came over one day, I think with Jane and Christine, we were going to pray. Krista, you may have been there. But she looked at me and she said, Tab, you're, you're glowing. Like, you are, like, radiant right now. And I said, I just came out of the tent. (laughs) 
You know, like I just came out of the tent. I had been in there for a while praying and, and just relishing and resting in the presence of the Holy Spirit. It is one of my favorite things to do. The last thing that is required in order that we, this is like a great recipe for a really yummy, delicious, satisfying spirit, soul, body meal the bread of life. And that is total surrender. Krista, you already prayed it out this morning. You sang about it. Galatians 2.20 says this. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When there is total surrender, there's no room for pride. You are now doing transactions with the currency of heaven. The economy of heaven follows you wherever you go. It breaks forth in and through your life. This is how we explore the height, the length, the depth, the width of the love of God. In trust, in prayer, in presence, in total surrender. Graham Cook puts it like this. Practice becoming vulnerable to his goodness and you allow yourself to rest in his presence. It is in total surrender that the very fruit or nature of the spirit of God begins to transform and manifest in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If you do not spend enough quality time with God, those things you will try to do in your own strength and they will be absolutely exhausting. You will always feel like a failure and that you will never measure up. And it's true. We can't do it without the Lord. So I challenge you as we pursue making space for the Lord to encounter us, as we purpose ourselves to dive into intimacy with him and with each other, to focus on the beauty of God, it requires that we focus on everything that is good, that is right, and that is true. This morning during worship, I felt the Holy Spirit Remind me of something that Graham had said, Graham Cook. And he said this, you need to put away all negativity because it will inhibit the kingdom of God in your life. You see, going back to Ezekiel, the lens of violence is a negative lens. The love of splendor is coveting. It is a negative lens. Hostility 
is a negative lens. The world around us is so hungry for violence that you see it in movies that are produced. You hear it in the language of people when vileness comes out of their mouths. You see it in the postures of bodies and you see its marks left on men, women, and children. God wants us to take off all negativity. Remove that critical spirit, not critical thinking, critical spirit and judgmental lens because we do not understand the great magnitude of his love. And even when we think we've got it, we're still missing out on so much more. When I think of that, I think of the universe. Scientists can only see so far, and it is great distance that it's measured in light years, which we can't even understand fully. But they know that just beyond what they can see, there's still yet more. And this is the truth that lies in the love of God. When we take off negativity, when we choose no longer to partner with it, we are then able to see the goodness and the beauty of God in every situation, even the ones that are scary. Negativity will steal your joy and it will suck the strength of the Lord out of you. So turn, turn away from the way of the world because just like Jesus was a kingdom kid, when you give yourself over to the Lord, you are now to his children, kings and priests. And the kingdom of heaven wants to work through you. Let's pray. Father God, Lord Jesus and Holy Spirit, we come to you knowing that there is no way in our own strength that we can begin to know enough, understand enough, respond enough, manifest enough love. In order for that to happen, Lord, you need to transform the culture of our hearts. And this is a work that only you can do. Papa, would you arrest us when we lean into the ways of darkness? Would you put such a bad taste in our mouths when we lean in to satisfy the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life? You oppose the proud and you embrace the humble. Would you grant us the gift of humility so that we can begin to work with the kingdom of heaven, sharing and expending the currency of love. We choose right now to take off these lenses of negativity and to trade them in so that we can get new lenses to recognize your beauty. We love you, Lord Jesus. We love you, Holy Spirit. We love you, Father God. Come.
Let's turn away with him, beloved, and enter into the secret place. We pray these things in the mighty, most magnificent, wonderful, glorious name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.